This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Coming up on today's show, online child exploitation complaints continue to soar in our province. Also, Canada has lifted its ban on single-game sports betting. That's why you're seeing all that advertising as you watch the game. Is that going to change? We'll find out. And what's the situation in Ukraine? Where do we go next? All right, we're going to have a conversation here. It's pretty important stuff, especially if you've got kids of a certain age. It's just, we've talked about it before, right? And kids who get themselves into trouble online. And unfortunately, the, the threat never goes away. In fact, it only gets bigger and bigger. And we continue to see it over and over. And... Um, there's some things you need to be aware of. So Kerry Shima is an RCMP officer based in Edmonton. And this week he went on social media raising the alarm about a website uh, that has become pretty popular with predators looking to exploit kids. And he's agreed to join us this morning and walk us through what he's found. Um, Sergeant Shima, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let's just start. The, I mean, we'll, we'll get into the overall uh, social media and online experience. But just this particular website that you were talking about, tell us about it. So Omigo, it's been around for a little while, and it has only found some prominence recently because social media influencers are using it to promote some of their material, specifically on TikTok and Instagram. Um, the basis of the website itself is like a chat roulette type thing. It's a random chats platform. It's pretty basic, Mm -hmm. pretty easy to access. And what it does is you log on and it connects you with a stranger. The the slogan for the website is talk to strangers, exclamation mark. So, um, and it is exactly that. Wow, is it popular? Is it growing in popularity? Are are a lot of people on this site? (laughs) There are a lot of people on the site and it is growing in popularity. Probably because of the TikTok videos and um, uh, the Instagram videos or the reels, and I think uh, I think the kids are seeing these this platform being used by some of their favorite influencers. And um, I mean, we're all interested in certain things that are uh, are exciting, and and for kids, it's exciting to you know to be surprised by who who you might wind sure, up talking yeah. to without knowing the threat that's out there. So that's the lure, that's the hook. It may be one of these influencers that you're a big fan with that you get hooked up with for a chat or something like that? No. Um, the influencers use this platform to promote their material. So, for example, there's there's some musicians and some magicians and um, people who have certain content that require them to interact with people to actually show that their material is legit. Gotcha, or, yeah. It's exciting, so they use this platform and then, you know, record record the conversation, put it onto a more popular gotcha uh, platform, and then the kids wind up on there not knowing what's actually out there. Okay, and you um, you illustrated very clearly on social media what can happen posing as a fourteen year old girl. Just walk us through your experience. It was 
terrifying to see how quickly that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, it could happen in seconds. Um, yeah. It takes... Uh, I, I was telling some people the other day that it was two clicks to get onto it. It's actually three clicks before somebody can actually be in touch with a stranger. And um, I posted... What I posted was a chat, and this platform actually supports video chat as well, which we're seeing some of too now, where, um, you know, kids are getting online and uh, getting in touch with, with a predator. Um, and they're video, they're video chatting. And the part of the requirement for these, for these uh, internet platforms and social media applications is that they have to, you know, have to have some sort of artificial intelligence or uh, mechanism in place to intercept child pornography or right, child yeah, sexual yeah. abuse material. And, and so, so they move you off to another site. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, these kids will get in touch with somebody. Uh, it happens really quickly. And my experience and the experience of the other officers in my office is that when we, you know, learn about these platforms and it's one, two, three, four lines, they're asking for Snapchat handles. They're asking for Instagram handles because that's where they can actually have a real conversation and um, uh, in the chat application doesn't support sharing of pictures or videos. Right, yeah. Um, so you can go to Snapchat, and as we all know, videos and pictures disappear off, off Snapchat. No, exactly, yeah. And then, and then we all know what happens there. Once they have that initial contact made and they get, I mean, we all know it, it, it can veer into very dangerous territory really, really quickly. Yes, it can. And um, the, the biggest threat right now that we're seeing for kids is that they're getting lured into these, uh, lured into communicating with these people onto different applications and then um, taking photos of themselves or videos of themselves right. and sending them over. And then that person is holding those as collateral for either more pictures or money. And that's where the kids kind of, and, and as you could imagine, there's, that's a really embarrassing moment for of course. a teenager. You'd feel and, completely uh, trapped. What do you do? And, and it's not their fault. They, like it's, it's really, it is truly not their fault. And we want them to come forward now and tell us about this so we can get them the proper support. But it's, it's not any different than um, some of the other offenses that carry a lot of shame for victims, like sexual assaults, domestic violence, and things like that. It's really underreported, and people don't want to report it or be embarrassed. So we need to normalize what's happening on the Internet so these kids can report it to their parents, teachers, the police, so we can actually get them the support they need because it is traumatizing. Ahead of time, what do you got to talk to kids about? I mean, I know a lot of parents rely, oh, my, my kids don't, we, we've got restrictions on their phone. I mean, that, that, that doesn't work, right? You've got to talk to your kids, right? 100%. Yes, that's exactly it. Um, we, have to kind of, we have to change the narrative a little bit because uh, it used to be, I'm not giving my kid a phone, I'm not right. giving my yeah. kid an iPad, yeah. I'm not letting them on the internet. But the reality is, Teenagers are going to find a way around the rules. We all did as teenagers, and it's no different with devices. So as much as we don't want to encourage them to get connected, we need to ensure that when they're connected, we're connected to them. And if we're not connected to them, they're going to find themselves, you know, running into problems. And I know you said at the beginning of the show, the kids are getting themselves into trouble. I think it's the predators are seeking out the kids. Yeah, for sure. Kids just don't know. Um, it's not, and we have to really change that narrative. The kids, it's not their fault. Um, we, we're realizing now that these are professionals and these are people who are driven, um, through sexual gratification and they're not going to stop. It's just, 
they put so many hooks in the water and they're just waiting for one of these kids to get looped in. Yeah, it is scary, scary stuff. Um, Sergeant Shima, thank you so much for coming on and talking about it. I really appreciate the uh, the insight. Valuable information. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, and thank you for talking about it. Yeah, you bet. Thank you, sir. That is Sergeant Kerry Shima with the RCMP. He's based in Edmonton with the Alberta Law Enforcement Response Team, the Internet Child Exploitation Unit. With the new NHL season starting this weekend, I think we got a Battle of Alberta tomorrow night. That should be fun. Yeah, tomorrow I could watch the Bruins at 5, and then I could watch Battle of Alberta at 8. That sounds like a pretty good Saturday night to me. Um, And with the new season starting this week, there's a pretty good chance that you may have watched a hockey game or two this week, which means you've seen about 7 billion ads for gambling websites. It is literally in every single commercial break. It's during the game. It's during the pregame coverage. It's during the intermissions. It's all gambling all the time now. And... To be frank about it, Canadians are getting just a little bit fed up with it all. Mark Hill is an editor at Inverse and a writer whose work has appeared in Wired, The National Post, McLean's, and Vice, among other publications. And you recently wrote a piece on this very topic. Mark, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time. Of course. Thank you for having me. So let's just start with why this is all of a sudden the face of sports television, because uh, it's it's new. It's only, I mean, we did this to ourselves, right? We legalized a new kind of betting, and that threw open the doors. I mean, in a sense, we did it to ourselves, but, you know, as a public, didn't really have any input. The, you know, provinces lost a lot of money during... Uh, COVID during lockdown and saw gambling as a way to make some of that revenue back. So we kind of just got it without consultation. Yeah, I mean, the law did come in, so now we've got the single sports betting allowed. Um, and that, is, is it basically right now just sort of a mad rush with all of these these online betting platforms trying to scoop up it, all available customers before somebody else does? Is that basically what this is? Absolutely, yeah. And um, in some prov- most provinces, including Alberta, the government has monopoly. But in Ontario, you have uh, private gambling companies competing for customers. And, of course, if you watch the Leafs, if you watch the Jays, you watch the Raptors, you watch CFL, you're getting these ads. So you're seeing you know, Aaron Paul telling you to yeah. use one service and Wayne Gretzky telling you to use another service. And they're, they're desperately trying to get as many customers as they can because once someone picks a gambling platform, they don't usually switch unless there's a good reason to. Makes sense. And and like you say, I mean, you're talking Aaron Paul, you're talking Wayne Gretzky. I mean, we're talking big, big money that they're spending, not alone, I mean, just to make the ads. And then you buy all of the advertising time. And the reason they do that is because they stand to make a lot of money. There are billions of dollars at stake here, right? There are, yeah. And um, for the provinces in Alberta, you know, Ontario, provinces are spending hundreds of millions of dollars to advertise their gambling platforms. And then they're putting chump change into, you know, gambling addiction support. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because that's that's the interesting part. Not the interesting. That's the the, the frightening part of it, because we all know uh, gambling is going to ruin some lives. And I think a lot of people are sort of turned off by all this advertising because we know there's a very dangerous side to gambling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the big change is now we can do prop bets, which is your yeah, you know, you're betting on the outcome of a certain inning or whether, you know, Nazem Kadri is going to score two goals for the Flames tonight. And that kind of divorces the the betting decision making from the uh, emotions because you know you're uh, you're getting those immediate results. You know you're seeing ads to gamble. Your phone is right there. You can hop online and do it. And then if it's a prop bet, you might get a result in like ten minutes, and you can try again. 
if you loved. Yeah, exactly. And, you, and something new will be coming along. And during the game, things change. I mean, you're right. It's nonstop. There's so many ways mm-hmm. to gamble now. I know, uh, and just looking at the text line as you and I are talking, a lot of people are really tired of it. They really are. They don't want to see the ads anymore. They're frustrated. Are we hearing more and more of that across Canada? People just saying, oh, come on with the advertising. It's enough. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could say I wrote this article out of a you know, a passionate sense of journalistic integrity. But to be honest, I watch a lot of sports and I find it very <laughs> annoying. And if you, you know, go on Reddit or fan forums or social media posts, people are saying the same thing. Like every seemingly every post is, I hate these ads, please stop. Also, at the same time, people are also saying, I, you know, I try gambling, I made 40 bucks or I lost 50 yeah. bucks. So they're annoying, but they also work. And that's why we're seeing no, they, they they absolutely do work. Now, I'm wondering, what about the networks? They've actually responded to some of the backlash, right? I mean, obviously, they're aware of the fact that some of their viewers are getting a little frustrated. What have they had to say? Um, well, we reached out for a comment to Sportsnet on this article, and uh, their official response was they don't feel that fans have an issue with the ads. Uh, I think you may see them start to die down a bit, hopefully, just as, you know, those markets do get carved out and we kind of move on to the next thing. But I I certainly imagine they will be here for the foreseeable future. I wouldn't be shocked if, say, TSN starts running a separate betting channel, or at least you see more and more dedicated betting shows. So I think despite fan complaints, we will be living with them for a while. No, I think you're absolutely right. And But, I mean, like you say, I think that's my thinking is, okay, all this – you know, this surge of advertising we're seeing right now, eventually they're going to think, okay, we've locked up, you know, the majority of the people that are available and just out of the cost that they must be bearing right now, um, it's not going to be worth it. So these ads, I think, just naturally may drop off. Do do Am I out to lunch here? Uh, No, I think that's right. You know, I think they will carve out their markets and say, okay, we've got, we accomplished what we needed to do and the ads will kind of regress to, you know, what you see for alcohol or... Every now and then, but not all the time. I think the next big move is, you know, a couple of days ago, the Cincinnati Reds announced they would be putting gambling kiosks in their stadium so you can go to the game and gamble while at the game. And I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, Canada fall suit. You know, you can go to the Rogers uh, place, buy a $17 beer, and then try to win your money back by betting <laughs> that the Oilers will win. <laughs> You're absolutely right. It's not cheap to be a sports fan these days. You're so right. Uh, Mark, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. That was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That's Mark Hill, who is uh, an editor at Inverse and a writer uh, in many, many Canadian publications and recently wrote a piece. uh, If you want to check it out, it's on The Hub. an eye on what's going on in Ukraine. And, and, and we talked a bit about the troubling rhetoric yesterday. And, and I think it's more than rhetoric. I think that's the concern. As we said, the NATO um, Nuclear Planning Committee uh, met yesterday, two days actually, and to put together a nuclear exercise that's going to take place uh, following up on a Russian nuclear exercise. And I mean, just all this talk. Uh, and it's interesting to see how the Allies are handling this and, and, and what they're talking about, because there appears to be some division. So we're all trying to figure out where we're headed. And I don't think anybody has an answer uh, because of some of the central figures. But uh, a trusted voice for us and somebody who's really been a, a valuable insight on all of this is Marcus Kolga. He is the founder of disinfowatch.org and a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute Center for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad. Marcus joins us now. Marcus, thanks for your time. I appreciate you being here. 
Yeah, of course. Thanks very much. Yeah, just taking a look at where we might be headed, and I know it's impossible to predict with any certainty, but um, how are you feeling about the state of things right now? Because there's a lot of troubling rhetoric that we're hearing. Yeah, I, I think a lot of Canadians and a lot of people in the Western world are probably concerned about the way that Vladimir Putin has been ratcheting up this rhetoric, um, using uh, nuclear blackmail to, um, you know, quite frankly, terrify Western uh, nations, Ukraine itself. Um, and the, the intent of this is to hopefully extract some concessions to erode our support for Ukraine, because it's really that support that's, a, that's allowed and enabled uh, Ukraine to succeed the way that it has in defending so much of its territory and repelling these attacks. Um, you know, and, and further to your point about forecasting where this all might lead, look, there, there are a few things that we do definitely know. Uh, one of those things is that uh, Vladimir Putin's primary objective for the past 22 years that he's been in power is to consolidate that power and remain in power Mm -hmm. um, to make sure that those who support him remain in power and that they get to enjoy the benefits of all of the wealth that they've stolen from the Russian people. Um, Engaging in a nuclear conflict would be utterly suicidal for Vladimir Putin. You know, the, the, the way things are going in Ukraine right now, he's, uh, you know, his power is being threatened right now by both the hawks and the doves in the Kremlin. Right. But if he were to start shooting nuclear weapons, well, I think that would change the situation very quickly. And that's not in his interest. So I think that any concerns about a, you know, wide, broad uh, nuclear war uh, I think it's, you know, it's unrealistic. It's just not going to happen. Um, is it possible that he will cause a nuclear catastrophe in Ukraine by accidentally, you know, bombarding a nuclear plant? That's possible. Will he engage in other uh, or use other weapons of mass destruction, chemical, biological weapons? Absolutely. He's shown us over the past seven months that he has uh, no concerns about uh, killing Ukrainian civilians on a mass scale. He could not care less about uh, human life, not Ukrainians, and not his own people either. Uh, but nu- again, nuclear war is something that would be suicidal to him, and uh, and that's something that he's not going to engage in anytime soon. Um, what about, and, and, and I mean, the other side of this, and I'm really glad to hear what you're saying, is the conversation, okay, but like you say, he's lost so much support domestically. He never had much uh, when it came to the international community. Uh, once he runs out of options and he doesn't see the elusive off-ramp that we keep talking about and he feels more and more cornered and nowhere to go and it's all over for Putin anyway, there is no way out, then does that metric change? Well, right now, there's no way out. Um, You know, there is an exit ramp for him. And I think a lot of European leaders have uh, clearly stated this over the past uh, seven days or so. And that off ramp is, is that uh, his troops are pulled back to the 1991 borders of Ukraine. That includes Crimea. That is the only off ramp right now. Um, If we concede anything to this bully, uh, he will continue in these cycles of conflict. Um, he may then continue using nuclear blackmail mm-hmm. if we now back back down. And there's no telling where he might launch one of those nuclear weapons. You know, we have a vast uh, frontier in the Arctic that could be targeted. Our other allies could be targeted. 
you know, it's just like any sort of uh, schoolyard bully. If you give into them into them once, they're going to continue engaging in that sort of behavior because they we demonstrate to them that it works. So we need to take a hard position here. We need to recognize the fact that he's not going to use nuclear weapons, and we need to push him back. If he if we push his forces back beyond those borders, 1991 borders allow Ukraine to take its territory back. Maybe that's when he'll stop. Maybe that's when those uh, the security forces that are supporting him and enabling him will uh, you know look for a change, and maybe the Russian people themselves, hopefully will rise up and demand much better of their leaders than what Vladimir Putin right. has given them for the past 22 years. Which would be fabulous to see. Uh, given that you're saying we need to be resolute and we need to be very firm and we need to push back, are you concerned with what we're seeing uh, among some of the allied countries? Specifically, I'm thinking about France here, where uh, Emmanuel Macron actually went out on Twitter yesterday and said, we do not want a world war after he said... Um, we would not retaliate if Russia were to use nuclear weapons. Uh, we would not respond in kind. Are we seeing cracks in the alliance? And how worried are you about uh, what Macron said this week? Well, I think we have to be uh, very careful about how we engage on this issue. It's completely irresponsible to make statements like that because that simply emboldens Vladimir Putin. Um, you know, I think uh, the U.S. has been very clear, um, Joe Biden has been very clear, that uh, there will be a response. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, you know, and there are various other ways that the West can respond. Um, you know, I don't think, you know, clearly we are not going to engage in a broad uh, swap of massive nuclear weapons. You know, no one is, is interested in that. But, um, you know, to be very clear that we will wipe out all of Russia's forces inside of Ukraine, all of its ships that are in the Black Sea right now, that's a significant response. Because right now, Vladimir Putin's forces are failing. People, there are constant reports of his soldiers uh, surrendering. Um, His equipment is not working. He no longer has the weapons. The drones that he purchased from Iran, apparently 90% of them were shot out of the sky. This guy is failing. And so a threat to take out all of his forces will represent an existential threat to his power. If he loses all of those troops, he will be removed. And that is a serious concern to Vladimir Putin. Um, So now we're eight months in. And as you say, I mean, he's just seeing all the support erode within Russia. Uh, How much longer do you think this will go? Or do you think we might be nearing an end? We're nearing an end. Uh, Like I said, his uh, his, uh, defenses in southern Ukraine are currently, they're collapsing. Uh, conscripts, the, the mobilization that he engaged in was completely chaotic. Um, you know, there are videos of, uh, you know, unfortunately, these, these rather uh, poor Russians out in, in the regions, uh, completely drunk, getting onto buses. Uh, they, are, they have no military training. They're receiving uh, AK-47s that are completely rusted. Um, there was a video that emerged yesterday that showed um, r- Russian officials in a factory uh, in Russia uh, repairing and upgrading tank turrets from the 1960s. Um, this guy has no chance. He right. is unable to build new weapons. He's unable to repair his weapons. His uh, forces are completely demoralized. Um, it's the end. Now, how this ends is the bigger question. Um, and I think that what the West needs to be doing, instead of you know uh, engaging in this sort of uh, uh, fear-mongering about uh, nuclear war and, you know, thinking about concessions, we need to start thinking about a world without Vladimir Putin, 
We need to think about what, how the rebuilding of Ukraine will look, how we're going to pay for this, how we're going to help them rebuild, and quite frankly, how we're going to ensure that Russia pays reparations and pays for the rebuilding of Ukraine so that we, we don't have to pay for that, and certainly the Ukrainians who have suffered enough that they don't have to pay for it. That's what we need to start thinking about and talking about now. Yeah, and there's some news about that, Marcus, talking about how that could be done. And uh, I know you're one of the voices saying, well, we've seized a lot of Russian assets. That's where we should start, right, when it comes to the rebuild? Yep, absolutely. Uh, in this country alone, uh, there are right now, uh, f- uh, with regards to frozen assets, um, they are valued somewhere in the range of, you know, uh, two to three billion dollars at least. Um, some of those are, are assets that are being frozen by companies owned by oligarchs. What we need to do is take those frozen assets and sell them off and repurpose those proceeds uh, to help Ukraine, whether that's to buy new weapons or to help rebuild all of those cities that have been flattened by the Russians. Yeah. Um, and we can't. We shouldn't be the only ones doing this. We need to work with our allies, whether it's in the U.S. or Europe, for them to do the same, because that's part of that process in ensuring that uh, Ukraine uh, gets what it deserves, which is which is rebuilding it and setting it back on the the course that it was on before this invasion, which was towards the West, towards the European Union and NATO. Uh, Marcus, great insight as always. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate your time, sir. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. That's Marcus Kolga. Marcus is the founder of disinfowatch.org. He is a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute Center for Advancing Canadian Interests Abroad. And as he said, this rebuilding effort, a lot of people talking about that right now. The estimate from the World Bank, along with the Ukrainian government and the European Commission, is to rebuild Ukraine right now. Uh, you're looking at at least $350 billion, and it's only going to go up, right, as we continue to see more and more destruction. So uh, at this point, the U.S. Department of Justice has said that Western allies have frozen about $300 billion in Russian assets. So pretty close. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.